Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Your success in today's world is based on the ecosystems you create and nurture. To build powerful ecosystems requires that you become skilled at building trust, perhaps the most powerful currency available today. On today's podcast, we have an expert and a game changer who through her company and through her social action is teaching others how to build trust and create change at work and in the world. You'll absolutely love and be inspired by Tanyette Cologne, Head of Partner Ecosystems at Overpass. Can't wait for you to meet Tanyette. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, we have our fabulous co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you today? Oh, I am really good today. Looking forward to this. All right, great. Me too. Because today on the podcast, we're excited to have Tanyette Cologne, head of partner ecosystems at Overpass, a Brooklyn-based startup that gives high-growth companies one consistent source to find and onboard sales and support talent. Tanyette is also an advocate for causes that address diversity and inclusion, sustainability, mental health, education, and more. So, Tanya, hello. <laughs> Tell us. What are you most excited about right now from a business standpoint? And then I want to ask you from a social standpoint. From a business perspective, I was just thinking about this. I went to Miami for an incredible event that one of our partners put together, Amazon, was there. And I had a chance to speak to some of the members of Amazon, which will parlay into the conversation of what I'm most excited about from a social impact perspective. But the thing that really came full circle for me is that we're in this unique portal right now. So there's all this noise and chaos. And then there's this portal that has opened up in business where it's an opportunity for us to collectively rewrite where we want business to go next, how we want to do business, because so much of what has been done to this point has dehumanized to a certain degree due to automation. So I think there's an opportunity for a collective group of people who are saying, I want to shine in heart-centered leadership. I want to be more inclusive in how we go about this. I want to humanize, automate where we need to in process, but humanize and really dive in deep. That's why you're seeing more of a push for partner ecosystems and partnerships and collectives, because there's something more collaborative, more fulfilling in building with like-minded individuals. And that is the ask because I really believe that businesses and startups hold the key to some of the solutions to the problems that we see today. And then how do we create a brain trust to help businesses also scale up in a way that is sustainable? So we're not seeing what we're seeing now, the hard decisions that are being made due to a system that is somewhat fractured where, you know, we have, I think it's more than a hundred thousand people have been laid off right now. I have this ticker that I'll check in the tech sector, but there's a lot of mainstream big name businesses that are also having to do layoffs or furloughs. So it's an interesting time, but I feel like outside of the noise, there's opportunities to create a new narrative. And that excites me. Yeah. You seem very positive, you know, given all the chaos 
Yeah. It's interesting because my question was, what are you most excited about from a business standpoint? And then followed up with a social standpoint. It sounds like you're seeing that, at least what I'm seeing is that nexus between business and the social needs of humans who actually are in business right now. Yeah. And the United Nations has seen this as well. That's why they have this whole blueprint of principles on areas and sectors and ecosystems. I forgot what number it is. I think it's a principle number 11, if I'm not mistaken, is all about the ecosystems. And then how do we support even Gen Z, which I'm really passionate about? I do mentoring with creating ecosystems around them because that generation is very practical. I do mentoring with a team, with an organization based out of Silicon Valley in San Francisco, two women run it and two or three of their teams, one won an international award, two won an award from NASA. And these are kids that are only 15 years old creating solutions to problems. And they're not even going out in this ego base. Everything is just naturally for them, human design, first and foremost. They actually Mm -hmm. are thoughtful about how could this impact negatively another group. So they're really feeling into all of that. And they're just really practical. And one of them won an award because they created a communication system that filled in gaps for firefighters that are tackling wildfires. Like in California, there are huge communication gaps they literally hacked it together and the NASA judges like their jaws were on the ground. So that's one thing that excites me. And that's where the Amazon conversation comes in is that they're now looking for 2023 to really start investing on creating strong ecosystems so that more the younger generation can start creating through their lens because their natural DNA and how they look at the world is a lot of what we need. And then the second thing too, is these previously underserved founders, whether it's through funding or access are now getting more of a stage. I mean, there's still work to be done there, but I can say having talked to the people from Amazon, I was really impressed. They're not just talking about it. They're literally on the ground looking for ways to have access to help people. So that too, you know, I left thinking that or feeling that there's just, that's why I'm positive. There's a ton of opportunity here to shift the narrative in so many aspects. And I feel like business is one of those keys for sure. But heart center leadership is the second key. Great. When you say ecosystem, for those of us who aren't that familiar with an ecosystem, can you share with us what is an ecosystem and give us an example of an ecosystem that you're involved in right now? So the best example of an ecosystem, I say, is nature, because nature really is the epitome of an ecosystem. You have all of these components and together they work in alignment. It's the same in business. Like if you can create or find like-minded partners that are serving the same customer at a different pain point in their particular business journey, that would be an example of an ecosystem. There's a law of reciprocity, a gift first that's built into it. I can't even say it's bi-directional. It's like multi-layered textured, Mm -hmm. but so you would put your partners and the clients that you're serving in the middle and find ways to serve them and serve your customers so that they can grow at a more sustainable rate. It's really going back to an old school way of doing business. When you look at certain cultures like the Hispanic culture, this is how they've been doing ecosystems aren't new. This is how they've been doing business for, you know, for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It's all about getting to know someone, building that trust equation, and then creating almost like their mini like portfolio of, oh, you need help with this. I have someone you can trust for that. So it's always been built that way. I think the biggest place where you see that is in Miami. It was always funny back when I used to do radio sales in Miami, you would have people coming in from general market, like from New York, all suited up 
coming into what they thought was going to be a one or two hour meeting, it would turn into like a three or four because you would have to break bread. They would want to learn about who this individual was. It was all always based on trust. So I think trust, we're so deficient on it in today's culture, but that's what we're all craving from a psychological perspective. And that's why I feel like ecosystems in any form can be powerful. A solopreneur can do this. A business can do this. You can do it as a nonprofit to create allies around what you're passionate about. There's so many use cases for why it's so powerful. And Mitch, just to throw in, it's also taken over the world of academics in universities. We have to show whenever we publish something, which one of the UN principles it's supporting. Oh, Oh, really? I love that. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised. But then because of that, you get just what you said, the students, a business, academia, research, it all comes together and feeds the generation that we're hiring right now. Yeah. And there's actually a founder I met. She's in our partner ecosystem. She created Pick My Brain, which is basically a marketplace, a knowledge-based marketplace. And her passion point is for college students to be able to meet potential mentors to eliminate boundaries because she graduated as an economist and she said she graduated and she didn't know any other economists or had connected. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it goes. And here's where there's a pivot point and things coinciding with business. All the stuff in business recently, and we've had quite a few people here on the podcast talking about innovation talking about the future. And then there was a bunch of articles yesterday. I don't know if you all saw them on the new artificial intelligence where you just put in some parameters and it spits out an essay mm -hmm. that's perfect with all the right references. And oh my gosh. Well, what that means is students now, learners have to go beyond just the gathering of information from the resources, from Google and all that. Now you need to go interview some people. You need to do some research. That's the other half of the grade and the work, because that's the parts that's going to have impact, not mm -hmm. the regurgitation of what's already out there on Google. Yeah. And you know, you're speaking the language of a lot of Gen Z. I have a son who's in college. He's a freshman. And that's what they talk about all the time is that the education system is not immersive enough for the world that they're entering. Sorry, Mitch, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 gosh, every topic you're talking about could be a, <laughs> an incredible couple hours in itself. First of all, I'm very excited about that because I have a freshman in college as well. And I wanted to understand your perspective because again, our podcast is Team Anywhere. You mentioned it's so important to have trust, right? And you were talking about this ecosystem in Miami where everything is based on trust and I'm sure a lot of face-to-face. -face. We're, of course, you know, over the last two, three years, we're spending almost as much time or more on Zoom or on Teams as we are right now versus actually meeting people. How are you finding people are building trust when they're not seeing each other as much in person? That's a good question. I believe it's more than one meeting. So I think we're in a culture still that wants to do a 20 minute meeting and out is what I see or 30 minutes. And that's all they're allotting for, sure. which then means I've experienced it myself because I'm vetting out partners for our ecosystem with Overpass. It's three meetings. Now I'm starting to make them longer because I want to get to know the person 
behind who we're bringing in into our partner ecosystem that we're going to be referring clients to. So I think trust goes back to that old school way of, I want to know who you are, what lights you up, you know, what excites you about what you guys do? How do you serve your customers? So it's digging deep, but trust is always earned. It's not an overnight thing. You can find some commonality that can help fast track that, but it is earned. It is in providing value to your customers or whoever is in front of you because energy, whether we're behind the screen or not, energy is exchangeable. So if you can realize that, yes, it's not the same as being in person, but we can still feel into, to a certain degree, the experience. And you can look at it as that the trust is earned factor. So if you say you're going to do something, follow through on that. If you're going to connect people because you want to help them, it's all in the follow through, but it's earned for sure. It's not given away. Let me ask you, let's talk about Gen Z and in developing trust and answering questions like, like, who are you? What lights you up? Are you seeing Gen Z developing these deeper relationships with these deeper questions faster than the other generations? I think because they do have access to a lot of information. Some would think that, and I can only go by my small sample base of mentoring these Gen Z teens in tech. And I did an experiment. I had them do an Instagram live. And rather than me going in with the typical slant of being generational, like I'm Gen, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm going to take the questions so that it meets them there. I was like, no, I was interviewing them as if they were like Elon Musk was going to come into the interview. And what that did, like my jaw was on the ground because they were so thoughtful in how they were allowing for space and time for their other team members. Even the dynamics and the culture in these small groups were mind boggling. And these are kids that are just like 15 or 16. And I was like, wow, we are underestimating the power of that generation. Now that's from my small scope. I'm sure that, you know, the flip side of them growing up, they're the first generation to have grown up with a device in their hand that from a social perspective, for some of it created some level for some awkwardness, but I'm seeing both sides. I'm seeing a huge potentiality that if we meet them there, we meet them where they are instead of looking at them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's what I experienced. It's an exciting topic to your point. That's why I'm Bambi-eyed about the whole thing, because I feel like that generation is super articulate, smart. They know how to manage tech. There's the sky's the limit there. The one little point I wanted to make in all that is to get to your one point you made that I want to emphasize, which is meet them there. I have found in that younger age group, and then all the way up to, I'd say, 40, sort of in there, that they wait and see. If you meet them there and invite them, which is what we now have to be training, teaching, coaching the leaders to do, because the leaders, some, are still just see you in the hall, see you, you know, let's have a chat up, now it's the performance or whatever. It's very tends to be stilted in real person. Now, because of Zoom and so many of the things on social media, the ones that are reaching out and meeting them there, hey, let's go around the room. Tell me the best and the worst thing that ever happened to you. And by the end of a half hour, people have just, some people are crying. <laughs> some people are nervous. <laughs> These people want to be part of it, all right? But they will not go there unless they're invited. I agree. Yeah, it's been my experience with Gen Y, Gen Z. I've been going deep. I've been asking those questions, you know, who are you? What lights you up? 
you know, tell me your dreams and tell me your challenges. And I do know that, you know, I'm engaging in these conversations with younger generations. And to your point, Jenny, I don't know if the senior leaders are going there. And it's, again, another mark on to team anywhere, to lead anywhere. We've got to have these conversations because I do think, you know, the question I asked you, Tanya, about trust and how to develop trust is, you know, is as we know, is to have the same types of deep conversations as I'm sure you're having when you're sitting down with uh, your friends, clients, ecosystem partners for, you know, an hour, two or three. A hundred percent. And they also know they're being exploited by the way, Gen Z. That's also something that came out in studies as well as questions that I asked them. They know social media, that they're being exploited there. So they're well aware of what is going on. And to your point, more leaders, more startup founders should 100% be asking their opinions, even in the development process of a product. Oh, yeah. And to your point, Mitch, and again, Tanya, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have senior leaders ask us, all right, so I need to check in with them more. I need to have more conversations with them. What do I say? <laughs> Question, what do I say? <laughs> oh, I guess we need to break it down further. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Wow. I've thrown away all my questions for this interview because it did not go where I thought it would go. It's so much better. <laughs> So much better. <laughs> the reason why I was so attracted to bringing you on is just because of your many stories. I just think, in, you know, now we're in the realm of, I think, you know, the younger generations making a difference. I'd love for you to share your story about the ecosystem that you delved into when you wanted to make a difference with the pipeline in the United <laughs> States. It's so encouraging to anyone listening to this podcast as to what just one single human being can do. And that came from motherhood. I had a son. And at that time, we had bought this old, beautiful farmhouse in upstate in Pennsylvania, right near the New York border. And we started hearing about gas drilling, but we were naive. We didn't understand what that meant at that time. And then I started quickly learning quite a bit. And so we ended up locally having to get into, they wanted to get the Delaware River and tap into that. And there were reasons why that wasn't a good thing because a lot of that water goes downstream to Philadelphia and New York. And there were opportunities for that to become tainted scientifically. And that's when I started learning Norway's position in that. In 2016, there was a huge pipeline that was being built in North Dakota on indigenous lands. There was a group of indigenous teens that ran through the whole U.S. all the way to D.C. to bring in attention to what's happening on their land. That brought it internationally. And then a dear friend of mine who tragically passed a year ago, he was the one who had all the drone footage that we were seeing in the news. That was his footage. And he was a documentarist taught at Duke as well on indigenous studies. But to make a long story short, Norway was heavily invested in that project. It was the first project where international dollars were actually financing eminent domain on our land. It was the first case where we saw military tanks being pushed on our people who were basically peacefully protesting that this pipeline was going through delicate land. So once I knew Norway was invested and because I have family there, I quickly just went to bear witness and went to North Dakota to see everything that was happening and to get feedback from the people there. And then I started connecting with an indigenous nonprofit 
for which we created a coalition of five women. That's all it was. And my whole goal, quietly, they had me down as the woman who was documenting it. But I was actually the one who was like doing all the meetings behind the scenes. But that's not something that you want to push out there because, you know, it's the big Goliath industry. I'm a mother. So the last thing I wanted to do was front facing in that way. But behind the scenes, I started making calls. I had made connections with Greenpeace prior. They helped me out quite a bit. I cold called the Wealth Fund Committee. I was able to get members for that. I called DNB Bank to get their head, one of their top heads in a meeting. They had several of their members in a meeting. DNB is like the biggest bank in Scandinavia, saying like Citibank. And then the biggest coup was getting the man who actually manages the world's wealthiest funds. So what people have to understand is that Norway has the wealthiest sovereign funds in the world. So they own a piece of every major company across the globe. So when they divest even marginally off of something, it's a domino effect that's felt across the world. And it's the biggest way to get a message. And since I have family there, I knew how the Norwegian people are very connected to the land. I knew culturally that they would not feel good because they own 60% of the big oil company that's there. Now it's called Equinor. So it was understanding that personality and that they would not feel good that Norway was doing this and bringing that story there and humanizing those meetings. And I can tell you, there were a lot of tears in those rooms. There were men that literally were crying, whether it was the DMB meeting, the gentleman who manages the fund cried. I don't even know how I got him in the meeting because he told me no at first. And I said, if you can sit, because Elon Musk is always there. I said, if you can sit with Elon Musk, then you must witness what your decisions are doing to these women and to the land. And if you can live with that, I'm fine with that, but at least allow the opportunity to have their voices heard. And he said, yes. And he was the first one crying in that room. So that's why I have so much hope about, you know, doing that. And so what that did was they went on a whole international tour because then Greenpeace set up for them to talk to UBS and all of these other banks on the equator principle when it comes to indigenous lands that all financial institutions globally need to adhere by. And in this case, it wasn't because as soon uh-huh. as they knew that Citibank did the round and the raise. So as soon as they knew that the U.S. was involved, they were like, well, of course, the U.S. did their due diligence. They never sent their people to witness what was going on in the ground. So it was an eye opener from there. And then the fund a couple of years later pulled out of oil and gas infrastructure across the globe and started pulling out of oil plays, which again, sent vibrations across the world. So this just shows like, you know, when you make connections, a small ecosystem, we didn't have millions of dollars. We kept it very quiet. We literally were like the Navy SEALs coming in. I told a nonprofit, you cannot send out any PR on this because we do not have the funds to combat this on a PR level with any of these companies. We don't want these meetings canceled. And then it was after the fact where she could go and send out press releases, which then they were on international news and they were all over the news in Norway. People recognized the women wherever they went. So that's my story on the power of change when you believe and you understand, you know, how to look at it from a strategic perspective where you can do the most, get the most not publicity, but make the most change. And in this case, it was going to Norway. We were not going to be able to do it in the U.S. from that perspective. So it was more of a strategy play to an understanding the players on the chessboard. <laughs> so Tanya, we definitely need to have back on the podcast to talk about <laughs> what you do in your day job. Uh, <laughs> you've been truly inspiring 
for, you know, I think anyone listening, but definitely the younger listeners who you're basically, you know, challenging to go out there and make a difference, to be open, to build your own ecosystems, to develop trust. To get the right people at the table, to ask the right questions, to do all these exciting things that they're saying we need to do for what the future (laughs) is going to be. Right. And you can do it from wherever you are. And I think that's what's so important. And I know that in our conversations, you're moving around the country and around the world (laughs) and having such a great global impact. So I want to thank you so much, Tanyette, for joining us on the show. How can people find you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, Tanyette Cologne, and on Instagram at Tanyette, my first name. And then through Overpass, if they want to email me, it's my first name, Tanyette at overpass.com. Great. And Tanya is T-A-N-Y-E-T-T-E and Cologne is C-O-L-O-N. Thank you, Ginny. A great host as well. And thank you to our audience at Team Anywhere. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.